we had a new baby born this week, Ezra Glenn Cheney. That's a strong name to say the least. <laughs> born Tuesday he was. Mother and baby are doing fine and Drew will pray for him. But anyway, <laughs> but, but it's great to have new babies born. Uh, it's great to have Mike back. El Paso Mike used to be your name. We're now going to call you Oklahoma Mike. <laughs> Can you imagine going to Oklahoma with all the storms they've had? We have enough of them here, <laughs> much less going to Oklahoma. But this morning we're in Genesis chapter 26. We'll be finishing up chapter 26 and then moving over into 27. We're in Genesis 26 beginning with verse 24. Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, has built his altars. Jacob has dwelled in his tents. And now Isaac becomes known for digging wells. Isaac, he's dug a new well and he called it Rehoboth. And the Lord has made room for us is what that means. And it also, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And it's all captured in one word, Rehoboth. Isaac has come back to the very area that he lived when Abraham offered him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. And that's in chapter 22. Mount Moriah, where Isaac had the great privilege of being a type of Christ, a type of Jesus himself being offered up as a sacrifice without complaining or without trying to avoid it. This was, without a doubt, the spiritual high of Isaac's life. Sure, he had to be willing to lay down his life, but he was nearer to God at that moment than he had ever been or probably will ever be. And now Isaac desires once again to be close to Jesus in that fellowship. He wants to be compared again to Jesus. So Isaac returns to Beersheba and there at Beersheba, Isaac builds his only altar of his life. The only time Isaac builds an altar in his entire life, and it's back here at Beersheba where he has returned. And so let's look at our passage this morning in chapter 26, verse 24, and see the response of the Lord to Isaac. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servants Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with a Hazath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, 
that there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Then the story sort of changes. And when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wife Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Besmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. We have to recognize or look at Isaac and his desire to once again be close to God. He wants that relationship that he once knew with the Lord to be restored. And when he does this, when he approaches God, the Lord appeared to Isaac that very same night. That's encouraging. Even though we are faithless, yet he remains faithful. God has a word for Isaac, and it's do not fear. I am with you. Any time we're separated from God, the natural thing to happen is fear to come into our lives. Isaac has drifted away from God, and now he is afraid. God wants to comfort Isaac, and he tells him, Do not fear, for I am with you, and I will bless you, and I will multiply your descendants. And then he said, the Lord says something that we might consider unusual. For my servant Abraham's sake. The immediate question becomes, why does God promise these blessings for Abraham's sake? I give that some thought, and the best I could come up with is because Isaac has seen, Isaac has lived with his father Abraham and witnessed God's blessing and promises and how God was so faithful to Abraham. I think the fondest memories that Isaac has as a young man is the goodness of God to his dad, Abraham. Isaac, he's seen up close and personal God's faithfulness in his own family with Abraham and Sarah and now God declares Isaac I will bless you in the same manner that I have blessed your father Abraham Isaac has been told do not be afraid do not fear why because Isaac is afraid God doesn't say do not be afraid unless there is fear there what is Isaac afraid of well, he's probably afraid of the kings of the Philistines, Abimelech and so forth. Abimelech and these other kings have come together 
or they could come together in a moment's noses and war against Isaac. Abimelech has already sent Isaac away from him. The Philistines have contended with the wells that Isaac has been digging, and he's deserted two of those wells and gave them up. So the trust level that is between Isaac and Abimelech is tenuous at best. There's not a lot of trust there. And now we have Abimelech who comes out to see Isaac and he brings with him a Hazath, which is a strong friend of his, a fellow king, and Phicol. Phicol is the commander of Abimelech's army. Isaac has questions for Abimelech. Why have you come out to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? That's a pretty good question. <laughs> and then we have this posturing that goes on between Isaac and Abimelech. Abimelech has come a-calling. He's come out to Isaac, and he's brought another strong king with him, and he has brought the commander of his army. And no wonder God has told Isaac, do not fear. It's quite possible that this meeting place of these two armies, well, that it could develop into a full-scale battle. But God has comforted Isaac with the words, do not fear, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. I think those words from God to Isaac have bolstered his confidence. And now he confronts Abimelech, and he's basically saying, why have you come out here to see me? What are you here for? I think the troops of Abimelech and Isaac, they're probably squared off, and they're probably giving each other the evil eye, <laughs> you know, sizing each other up. And it's not just several men. The troops number in the hundreds. This very easily could be a war in the making. Now, we don't size each other up that way here in the South. When young men call on our daughters, we usually go get our shotgun and start cleaning it. Just something you need to do so you begin to clean your shotgun in front of these young men that would call on your daughter. These troops of Abimelech, these troops of Isaac, they could be sitting there sharpening their swords as they look at one another, you know, running a stone across it. It could be. I'm not saying it was. It could be. Isaac, he's encouraged by God's word to him, and Isaac shows no weakness whatsoever to Abimelech and with the other king. This week, I read in a paper where Israel, tiny, tiny Israel, warned Russia. And that was the headline. Israel warns Russia, don't send your new missiles to Syria or we will destroy them. And I go, wow. <laughs> Israel warning Russia, don't do it. I'm telling you ahead of time. And I thought, man, now there's some 
Maybe they got a word from the Lord, don't be afraid. Who knows? <laughs> but verse 28, Abimelech declares, We have seen that God is with you, Isaac. That's encouraging because God's blessings are not done in a corner. They're out there. They're open for the whole world to see. And all the Philistines, they can see that God is blessing Isaac. And Isaac has grown very strong, so strong that Abimelech wants a peace treaty with him. Abimelech, he might be afraid of not having a peace treaty with Isaac. Abimelech, he admits, yeah, we sent you away, Isaac, but we did it in peace. <laughs> we did you no harm. That's sort of weak, isn't it? Go away. But I said it to you in a nice way. <laughs> but Isaac, he's a man of peace. He's a man of God. He makes a feast. They eat and they drink. And then the next morning, they, they swear an oath of peace with one another, and Abimelech departs. But God's blessing continues with Isaac. For that same day, Isaac's servants come in, and they say that well we were digging, we have found water. And it's a, a well of great water supply, because later on they build a city around that well, and they call that city Beersheba. A well of clean water, in particular in that part of the world, it's a blessing for the whole area, for the whole community. Gospel for Asia, part of their mission support thing that they do in India is they dig wells. Because a well is... Uh, an olive branch to the whole community. For the whole community gets to have clean drinking water. In the past, we have supported digging of these wells in India. And it's a great blessing for the whole community just to have clean drinking water. The Christians are known for their charity and they share their clean water there in India today. And that goes on. I think I, I just read a report from Gospel for Asia. They dug a thousand wells in this past year just for the communities. But in this chapter, we haven't changed directions in the last couple verses. And we see Esau, and we see that Esau grieves Isaac and Rebekah with the choice of wives that he takes. He takes two, not one, but two Hittite women as wives. And this grieves Isaac and Rebekah. But it also shows us the very heart, the very character of Esau. No wonder God said, Esau, I have hated. And so let's look at chapter 27. We'll go through the first 17 verses of chapter 27. Now it came to pass... When Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And then he says, Behold, now I am very old. 
I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out in the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Isaac, or spoke to Jacob her son, and saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me their two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat, and that it may bless, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall be, and I shall seem to him to be a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice, and go and get them for me. <clears throat> and he went and he got them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food just as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were in her, which were in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and the smooth part on his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So we have here, we stop there in the middle, right in the middle of the deception. And we notice that Isaac, by his own confession, he is old. He's 135 years old when this takes place. But here's the kicker. He's going to live to be 180. He's got 45 more years, and he thinks he's about to die. Jacob and Esau, they're not young men, maybe like you would think in a Bible story of uh, the books and stuff, but they're 75 years old. Jacob and Esau are not young men either. And we see their character, their traits of these twin brothers, and they're coming forth just as they were named. Isaac, his eyes are dim. He is going blind, but he will live 45 more years. Isaac, he wants to circumvent God's word of Jacob receiving the birthright and the blessing. Isaac purposefully is disobedient to God's word. Isaac, in his disobedience, wants the blessing to go to Esau, the son he loves, the son that he favors. Isaac has what we call a little league coach syndrome. <laughs> 
and that is that my son will be that athlete. My son will be that ball player that I never was, and no one is going to deny my son that opportunity that I was denied. A little league coach, especially when they're the father of <laughs> one of the players, he says, I will favor my son, and if I have to be unfair, I will be unfair. And that is Isaac's attitude. Esau has remained dad's favorite, even though he married Hittite wives. This grieved Isaac, and it grieved Rebekah deeply. And now, a note on Jacob. Before we get into this birthright deception, we should know some things about Jacob. It's easy for us to be critical of Jacob. But the only recorded words in Scripture that speak evil of Jacob come from Esau and Laban. Those two characters shouldn't be able to talk about anybody. And if we are not careful, we can find ourselves speaking evil of Jacob. We can e I've even heard parallels drawn between Jacob and the Jewish people of today. They're still God's chosen people. Don't fall into that temptation. God will work in Jacob's life to bring about his will for the sons of Abraham. God does not ask for our approval concerning Jacob. Jacob remains God's chosen. Now, this does not excuse Jacob's scheming, his deception, in the same way that your sins and my sins are not excused, nor are they overlooked by God. But we're still believers. We're still Christian, but God does not ignore our sins. We must confess our sins. We must repent of our sins because our sins are way too heavy for us to bear. The guilt is too much for us to carry around day by day. And I thank God that we have repentance. Repentance is a good thing. So we get to repent. We're allowed to repent and enjoy the times of refreshing that come from God. But back to our story. Isaac, he secretly calls Esau in and directs him to go out into the wilderness, hunt down a deer, and prepare it for me the way I love the wild game and food. And bring it to me, and I will bless you. Now, we still hunt deer today. Some of us use our cars versus a rifle to hunt deer. I hit a deer about a month ago. <laughs> I killed it. <laughs> but anyway, and people, honestly, people said, well, did you go back and get the meat? No. Okay. <laughs> I did not go back and get the meat. But I did go back to see if he was dead. He was dead. <laughs> but anyway. Isaac, he is attempting 
to break God's covenant. And Isaac knows that covenant, and he knows it well. The covenant is that the older son, Esau, the one he favors, will serve the younger son, Jacob, and that Jacob will have the family birthright. Isaac has lost sight of an all-important truth here. Only God can bless a life and give a birthright blessing. Only God can. Isaac and Esau, they have come to the conclusion that some ritual, some ceremony is where the blessings of God can be passed along. That is never the case. It is not the ceremonies. It is not the rituals. It is God who blesses. We live in a country today, you and I, where there are many Christians, and I thank God for that. In years gone by, America has been known or considered a Christian nation. And many people born in America consider themselves a Christian simply because they were born here. Being an American does not make you a Christian any more than eating a donut makes you a cop. That's not mine. I stole that one. I've heard that one. <laughs> I, think, I think it was Mike McIntosh I first heard that from. But it's, you get the point. Because you're born in America, it doesn't make you a Christian. Rebecca and Jacob, they're going to work. They're going to connive. They're going to do what they can to deceive Isaac. They are so involved in this deception and their disobedience that they too have lost sight of only God can bless a life. They think it's going to come in this old man Isaac and his blessing. No, it's God who blesses. And we read this passage and we look at it and we say, Rebecca, Jacob, what are you doing? Have faith in God. God is in control. And don't worry about what Esau and Isaac are trying to do. But when you're caught up in a situation, those are easy words to proclaim. We tend to worry about things and behavior of others. Even those things that God, have, God has promised us. Isaac and Rebecca, not Isaac and Rebecca, Rebecca and Jacob, excuse me, will take matters into their own hands. For they feel that they must help God now bring about his promises. And that's always dangerous thinking for any believer. I'm convinced that I get in the way of God and I hinder God more than I help God to bring about his promises for my own life. I'm a hindrance, not a help. In the story of Jacob and Esau, we will never know how God would have given Jacob the birthright and the blessing because everybody gets off skewed there. Rebecca 
and Jacob, they do their conniving. We do not know how God would have brought about the blessings for Jacob, but we do know that God would have brought about the blessings because he promised them. Rest assured that God is faithful to his promises and that Isaac and Esau, they can't do anything to circumvent that. It was never God's perfect will for Rebekah and Jacob to scurry around, be deceitful in order for Jacob to receive the birthright. That was never God's perfect will. Jacob, when he hears Rebekah tell him what to do, he's leery, he's suspicious. He's, he's, he says, hey, I'm going to get a curse, not a blessing, if dad catches on to this. And she says to him, obey my voice. And then she says something that I bet she wished she could have took back. Let your curse be on me if we are caught. Let your curse be on me. Rebecca has lost sight that God sees her deception. Why God allowed Rebecca and Jacob to pull off this scheme? <laughs> that's, that's God's doing. I do not know. Why does God allow you and I, his children, to have what I call erroneous theology? Why does God permit you and me who have his word to have beliefs that are not of him? Why does God allow that? I don't know. That's God's doing. <laughs> And we look around, and we see the different Christian denominations that put emphasis on totally different aspects of God's Word. And God allows it. It's easy for us to see what I call poor exegeting or when they pull forth the wrong meaning from a verse or a passage. You know why it's easy for us to see? Because we don't agree with it. <laughs> you know, and we are. You know, I love this counsel now that determines what words of Scripture are God's words and which are not. Oh, who made you chief? <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm just flabbergasted by that. But it's easy for us to see those that we do not agree with. I ask you this, have you ever really had a strong conviction about something only to have God take you to the other side of that conviction and show you how perhaps you don't know all the facts? I've had that happen. Believe me, it's very humbling. Calvary Chapel, now you want me to say that we're the one that had the perfect belief system, but I can't. In fact, we've been accused of not having a belief system. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> uh, we have ministry meetings here, and I like to emphasize that this is Jesus' church. He's the one that's died for you. He's the one that's paid the price. And it's him that we want to please with everything that we do. Do you realize we have the opportunity as a group of believers to do church, to have church according to God's word? 
And I strive for us to do that. It's not always easy to keep the main thing the main thing. But we sure want to. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so how do we do that? Well, basically we do it by not having a bunch of rules and regulations. Church membership is not something we push around here. <laughs> Has anybody ever asked you to be a member of Calvary? Nah, we won't either. If you attend, you're a member. Sorry, you're already associated with us, so you're a member. How about the monies we give? The tithes and offerings? Well, let me assure you, they stay within the fellowship. We don't send part of our tithes and offerings off to some denominational headquarters where we never see it again. They stay right here. And we firmly believe that our gifts and offerings should be, one, voluntary. We won't be ever pressuring you for money here. At least we haven't yet. We've been going about 15 years. But I'm getting ready. <laughs> what do I need? Somebody asked me that right before service today. Well, a new car would be nice. No, I'm kidding you. I got, I'm car rich and money poor, if you know my case. <laughs> but we want to honor Jesus in everything we do here. And so we, we have firm beliefs that missions should be something we're involved in. So we have missionaries we support. And uh, we think that's vital. We, part of our non-pressure attitude towards giving is there's offering boxes in the back. We don't pass a plate. And God has met all of our needs. We never have to plead for money. That is a great blessing. And hopefully you'll never be pressured here with those ominous thermometers that indicate a building project. You ever seen one of those up front? They have them. Well, here's where we're at today, and here's where we need to be. So if you people will give a little more money, we can move this thermometer up, and we can get a grandiose building. Well, hopefully that will never come about. <laughs> we believe, and I'm firm on this, that you're in a sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? It's where you're free of all the pressures of the world and all the schemes of the world. It's a sanctuary. I've even had to stop the selling of Girl Scout cookies here. And I like Girl Scout cookies. But we don't want you to come here and feel like you, you're gonna get hammered on anything to separate you from your money. We won't do it. There's a new one that goes around, and this is at some of the uh, local stores like Home Depot and Lowe's. And you take up and you got all your little things that you're buying, and they say, Sir, would you like to donate a dollar to the whatever? I said, No, would you like to take a dollar off my purchase price? 
I'm sorry, I can't help myself when I do that. Why would they hit you up like that? <laughs> I don't appreciate it. And so I asked them to take a dollar off my purchase, and they don't do that. And then I say, they make you say that, don't they? <laughs> and they usually say yes. I got sidetracked there, sorry. Back to the sermon. <laughs> Rebecca, her words are noteworthy. Let your curse be upon me. Only obey my voice, son, and do as I say. On the surface, it appears that Rebecca and Jacob's, it appears that their deception has worked. But within a very short period of time, within days, Jacob, he will flee and go to Uncle Laban's because Esau has sworn to kill him because he stole the birthright. And when Jacob goes to Uncle Laban, he will understand the severity of deception. As in, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but Laban will deceive him many times over. Rebecca, she is forced to send away her son, the one she loves, and she's forced to send him away. And here's the curse part. Rebecca will never see Jacob again. This is their last meeting. Jacob will go. He will go to Laban's. He will have 12 sons. Rebecca will never see one of these grandchildren. She will never get to hold one of these grandchildren on her lap and play with a child that is her grandchild. She will never be allowed to cuddle, to enjoy these grandbabies. And by the way, as a grandparent, that is a great joy, <laughs> getting to cuddle and hold our grandchildren. She ends up, Rebecca does, pronouncing a curse upon herself. Only she doesn't know it. This dysfunctional family of Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac loving Esau, Rebecca loving Jacob, is more than any family should be able or should have to go through. Isaac, he will live another 45 years. And these will be 45 years that haunt him because he was disobedient to God. He was disobedient in trying to circumvent God's blessing upon Jacob. Rebecca and her scheming, she never gets to see her grandchildren and never gets to see Jacob, the son she loves, never gets to see him again. Know this, God's word is God's will. You can't get around it. And I don't care if you're Isaac and I don't care if you're Rebecca. God's word prevails. It's true. And God makes sure that his word prevails. 
so if you're ever tempted to be deceiving or you're ever tempted to circumvent God's word think twice about it God's word is God's word and it is his will amen amen let me get you to stand we'll close in prayer Father God, I think how many times I've looked at your word with feeling like I had an option to be obedient or not obedient. Forgive me for that, Lord. For your word is good. Your word is pure. Your word is truth. And may I receive that in my heart and life. May I lead and guide my family in your word. I don't want to ever be like Isaac, who felt he could get around your word. I don't want to ever be like Rebecca, be deceiving and conniving. Lord, let me accept the wisdom of your word for my life and for my family's life. Let me be firm. Let me be wise in leading and guiding my own family, Lord. I ask for that, and I ask that for everyone here, Lord. Let us esteem your word above everything in life. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for forgiving us when we err, when we sin, Lord. Watch over us and take care of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.